This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Security controls fail everywhere. They fail constantly, and worst of all, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ, the leading automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, and real security outcomes. Get it all with Attack IQ. Plus, check out the Attack IQ Academy for free cybersecurity training featuring the good people here at Hacker Valley Studio. Register today at academy.attackiq.com and let them know Hacker Valley Studio sent you. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. Our guest this episode is not only a friend of the podcast, but also a source of inspiration for us. Our guest this episode is Anne-Marie Zettelmoyer. Anne-Marie is VP of Security Engineering and Divisional Security Officer at MasterCard, and also a source of encouragement, a mentor for many in cybersecurity. It was great catching up with Anne-Marie this episode. I can't wait for everyone to check it out, so let's jump right into it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again in the studio. And today we have Hacker Valley family and friend, Anne-Marie Zettelmoyer. She is the visiting fellow at National Security Institute at George Mason and also VP of Security Engineering and Divisional Security Officer at MasterCard. Anne-Marie, whenever we speak, it is a true pleasure. We're always laughing, but wanted to say thank you for jumping on the mics and welcome to the show. Thanks, fellas. Glad to be here. AMZ, as you are affectionately called from time to time, this has been a long time coming. We have so much in common from extracurriculars to our career. But first, for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Sure. You know, like you, I have a interesting background, probably not the same as many folks in the industry. But, you know, my background started out in business. So my roots are in accounting and finance and my MBA is in organizational behavior and corporate strategy. Go blue, Michigan, <laughs> how you doing? You know, so, so, you know, I speak every business language and the first decade of my career was, was focused on that, held so many different roles from analyst to controller to auditor, strategist. And, you know, of course, data analytics has been there throughout. And then I got into security, really fell in love with security maybe about 12 or 13 years ago and knew that that was the genre that I wanted to stay in. It really speaks to my heart for mission, for protection, to to defend others. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been here ever since and loved it. And what I do now at MasterCard is I run security for one of our divisions and I'm responsible for making sure that not only is the division safe, but what we develop, our products, our processes, our technologies are safe and secure for our consumers, for our customers, 
um, and really live up to that trust and confidence that the world has in, in what we do and what we build every day. So it's a, you know, it, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's worth it. And it's so wonderful, wonderful problem space keeps me on my toes, but that's what I do today. In just the first minute or so of talking to you on the podcast, you've talked about safety, you've talked about security, obviously you've talked about making people feel safe altogether. In my interactions with you, you care so much about people and how safe and secure they feel. I'd love to hear if that is something that came up earlier in your life, maybe even in childhood, because it sounds like that's part of your superpower is helping people feel safe. Would you say that's correct? And if not, what is your superpower and where did it come from? You know, it's funny is that I've always been a fighter for others, even like, even in elementary school, even in the wee days, like I can remember just, you know, standing up for others, making sure that everybody's treated properly and that they were respected. And I take to heart that responsibility. There's a great deal of empathy there and a great deal of responsibility for the trust that someone places in you. And that's why I love security because folks are, are really given, you know, I mean, they're given that responsibility to do well at their job. Someone's expecting you to protect them. And, and that speaks to me and it speaks to my teams. And so when I build organizations and I build teams like that, that's what I look for. And that's what drives me is that you, you know, you're called to do your best and it matters because when you don't, right, you know, weird things happen, right? People get hurt. People get, businesses get hurt, you know, angst happens that, you know, and you've got to work to make them whole. So I know that that part of me has been there throughout my life and I've carried that into every discipline I've had. So when I was an accountant or when I was a, a controller or was, I was in business, you know, you know, I took to heart the trust they had in me to make right decisions, to build strategies, to make sure the goals were met in ethical ways and sustainable ways, right? Because, you know, that business impacts people, it impacts employees, right? Those decisions are important. So whatever I endeavored into, you're right, that piece has always been there. <laughs> I'd love to hear a story of young AMZ, the, the protector, Anne-Marie stepping up for a group of people, maybe even a single person. Could you, is there a story that sticks out in your mind of you protecting somebody when you were younger? Well, I'll tell you, there are, <laughs> there are many, but I'll tell you what was sort of like mountaintoppy. It's not a specific person, but it's a cause. Back in college, well, I'm not going to date myself, but I will <laughs> unintendedly because all of my references, by the way, are going to be from the 80s or early 90s. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, it just happens, right? You'll, you'll get there. But, you know, when the AIDS crisis was going on, which, which spoke very dear to me, you know, we were looking for a vaccine. And so I joined this fundraiser and, and and there was, you know, people in my world, in my circle that, you know, this had affected. And so, uh, you know, I wasn't a, a bike rider by nature. Uh, I didn't know anything about biking, but I set out on this, I think it was 600 mile trek in the mountains 
of mm. Montana in August, right? On a Oof. bike that was too big for me. <laughs> I spent two months salary on this bike, had no idea what I was doing. And I couldn't even clear it. You know, like I couldn't even stand <laughs> over it. And I didn't know, I mean, I, when I say I didn't know anything about biking, I mean, I knew nothing about biking, but I knew that I wanted to be part of the difference that I raised thousands of dollars for an AIDS vaccine. And, you know, it's not just the money that's raised, it's the awareness, it's the talks that you had to give to get support and which led to other people getting tested and other people being able to talk about what was extremely taboo at the time, right? And you know, it was, it was life-changing for me. And I almost died on that ride actually <laughs> twice, <Wow. laughs> you know? Um, but I was also saved by the other people on that ride. And I can remember one particular day, this, I think it was day five and the weather changes were so different that there was one day where we're crossing the continental divide on this bike, you know, you know wrapped in mylar because it was so cold in the mountains. And then the next day, you know, your, your skin is blistered because it's 90 degrees and, you know, you've been riding in the sun for 12 hours. I was trying to get up this mountain and I was one of the very last riders. And I was, I mean, it was like this insane grade. It was greater than 4% in a mile trek up. And it was a hundred mile day. And this was day five. And I was going up really slow. And, you know, they have the sag wagon that's pacing you so that if you pass out, it throws you, they throw you in the wagon. And I remember just going just a little bit farther, a little bit farther, a little bit farther. And there's, this was not, you know, there was no music either. I mean, you just, I just had to like sing to myself the entire time I was riding because, you know, you know there was no, this was not like iPad time. There were no <laughs> cell phones, right? <laughs> like there was, we had Walkmans, right? Like there's, yeah. there's nothing, mm-hmm. You know, and, um, and these two guys who were clearly, in great shape. I was not in great shape. Um, they were clearly in great shape and clearly bike riders. And they were just sort of like cheering people on. Well, they, they got off their bikes and this is uh, like in the middle of a mountain, you know, where you're like the incline is super, <laughs> super steep. They got off their bikes, Chris and Ron, and they, they got behind me and they pushed my bike with me on it. Mm for like a hundred feet or something. I don't even know how long it was, but I just remember that's what I needed. I needed that help. I needed that hand to make it up that mountain. And it would, you know, they didn't push me all the way up, but they, they showed me that even when I was down, someone was there to catch me too. Right. And believe in me too. And that I was important to them. They didn't even know me. And they pushed me up that mountain. And when I got up there, that was enough for me to, you know, get, get within yourself, get that gumption up there to make it up that mountain. And there was 20 people up there that I didn't even know waiting for me and cheering me on. And, and I got to tell you, it was amazing. It was such a testimony of humanity and, and what, what you can do for others and what they can do for you. I, I mean, who, wouldn't want to be that person for somebody else, that catcher in the rye, that person that helps you up the mountain, that Sherpa. If you know me well, you know, I, I use that Sherpa analogy for security a lot. And, you know, I just want to be that person. And I think it was a, a great experience. So it's one of those things where 
you know, I set out to stand up for others and be a voice for others and be a protector of others in that sense. And, you know, it came full circle for me, even in that experience. And and I think back to that a lot when things are hard, that, you know, you never know the power of showing up, what that could mean, not just for somebody else, but for you. That is such a touching story. And that actually, when you were speaking, it reminds me of my own life. When I was younger, I had a really tough time learning. I w- Maybe I missed the class where they taught you how to learn and taught you how to take notes. But throughout just getting into the field of cybersecurity and technology, I had really bad learning habits. But along the way, there were mentors, there were people that just wanted to help someone that believed in themselves that said, hey, you can do this. You can totally learn these things by doing this or by me giving you that great push. And now that I've been pushed so far up the mountain, I've learned how to learn better. I've learned how to retain information. And here you are as a friend that I've met constantly cheering people that have climbed that mountain at the top. And it's it's a great story to hear that that's how you really found that passion and, and found a way to help others. What are some stories that you can share for, you know, you being that person that has helped push someone else up that mountain that is obviously very difficult to climb in any aspect, whether it's career, life, or even with family? Well, you know, I'd love to tell the story about the power of showing up for others, right? And being, you know, sometimes security can be (laughs) daunting, right? And often I get asked, how can you be so positive in a field that can be just dragging? And I always say, listen, if, if you don't make the conscious decision every day, to keep going and to put some joy into your life, you're just never going to make it, right? You have to make that conscious decision. You know, so I was at this conference a few years ago and it was a a cloud security conference for executives and stuff. And I was one of the only women there. And that happens a lot. What was interesting about this particular one is that I was asked a lot of where's the coffee questions and, you know, (laughs) Mm. You know, uh, what time is lunch being served and, you know, that type of stuff. And so when they uh, realized that I was also a security executive, because, you know, I made that known <laughs> during the question <laughs> and answer section, you know, and they wouldn't call on me forever either. So, you know, I had to stand up and and we had a good conversation and they're like, oh, my God, who's that? Right. Like, you know, this is amazing, all that kind of stuff. And that was it turned out well. But there were three other young ladies in the audience that were part of this company that was putting the the con on. And they weren't in security. They had come up to me afterwards and they said, you know, we appreciate you being here. It was great to see a strong female leader. And one of the young ladies who was the admin of this company, she said, you know, I I would really love to get into the technical security side. How can I do that? So I I took her aside and we chatted. And this is like a career highlight for me, you know. And I, uh, you know, went through some things with her, followed up with her on LinkedIn. And I said, listen, the next time I hear from you, I want to see you on that stage. And do you guys know that two years later, Last May, I get an email from her on LinkedIn. 
And she said, and, and, you know, you can see the messages. So I saw that I had spoken to her two years ago and I remembered who she was immediately. And I saw our conversation and what she had wanted to do. And she said, do you know that I have worked so hard over the last two years to do what you have said and to make you proud? And I was like, and I was like oh my God, I'm reading this. And I was like, oh my God. She goes, and today I was promoted to senior security engineer. Wow. And I just, I just lost it. <laughs> I was just, it was just amazing. So, you know, you know, fighting for others isn't just, you know, I'm going to stand up for you in this sort of way. And there's certainly so many different examples of that, right. And where I've even physically stood in front of people to protect them, but it can be just showing up and giving folks the ex example of grit, of perseverance, of standing your ground, of being flexible as well, of finding a way to make a difference and letting them see that, you know, so that they can pattern themselves and make their own way. And I'll tell you, and I got her her first speaking gig as well, Oh, you know, because you know, I make good on my promises. Right. And it was just, <laughs> it was just a great career highlight to see that happen. And I think that for everybody, just showing up is so important, you know, because you can't make a difference if you're not there. That's incredible. And the reason why it's incredible is because I believe there are two camps of people. You have the one camp where they had examples of people that showed up for them, and that's why they show up for others. But then there's another camp where they didn't have people that showed up for them. In fact, they were left quite alone to their own devices to make a way for themselves. And then that's what fueled them to say, I'm not going to do the same thing that other people did to me. I'm going to show up for them and be there for them. So what does it mean for you emotionally? What does it mean for you to be able to be there for people today? Because you're, you're there for so many people. So what does it ultimately mean for you today? I mean, you'd never know who you're going to affect. and listen, we all have bad days and we have to give grace to each other to have bad days. And what can maybe pull you out of that or give you the ability to make that choice to pull yourself out or to find help to get yourself out is that you can make a difference to others. You know, we all want to do our best every day and sometimes just doing every day is, is all we can do. And that's important too. All of that adds up. All of that pays dividends in ways that you'll never know. And sometimes you get this gift two years later <laughs> where someone tells you that they had remembered you, you know, or that a small gesture could make a difference. So, yeah, I'm going to stop because I, I for, totally forgot the question. <laughs> it is what is it what does it mean to you to be able to be that person for other people like when you were coming up did you have a lot of folks that you were able to depend on or did you feel like you had to fight for everything yourself i i had to fight for everything i had and that doesn't mean that there weren't people that that helped me and believed in me along the way but i wasn't handed anything and I mean, I started working as at a very early age in order to be independent. You know, my, my family, you know, we're first gen on one side and, you know, we didn't have a whole lot. We had enough, but I, I knew that I wanted to be in a place where I could be self-sufficient. 
And I always strived to do that, not just for me, but for my family and to be able to help others. So I just, I just had that in me. Right. And I, I knew I had to, to find a way to provide for myself and others right early on, you know, that carried through. So to be able to, to give back to that so that others won't have it as hard, I think it is important to me. And here's really why this is constantly in my, the back of my head, you know, talent, gumption, aptitude, the ability to make a difference, brilliance, passion, that is evenly distributed throughout humanity, but opportunity isn't. And if you can be in a place to create opportunity, so that ability to find those minds, to find those hearts, to find those people that are everywhere, you know, to lift them up so that they can lift up others. If you have a heart for that, and I know that you do, both of you, why wouldn't you want to pursue that every day? Why wouldn't you want to pursue that when you can, you know, when you have strength to do so, when you have the ability to do so, when you have the responsibility to do so? I think about that a lot. I think about being lucky to be born in a a situation where we have means and how easy it could have been for me to be born in a different situation in a different country, to a different family, to different parents. And I'm very conscious of that and grateful for the opportunities that I've had and the ability to create opportunities for myself. We really do have the same responsibility, the same strength. And I believe that many other people do too. And one word or phrase that comes to mind is the adjacent possible the origin of good ideas and good people. I think that this isn't really magical or mysterious. There's connections that are behind the scenes that are made. When Chris and I were first joining National Security Institute, we saw that you were a member, you were a fellow. And we're like, wow, you know, AMZ is really everywhere helping everyone. And I think one of the aspects of the origins of good people and good leaders and good supporters is their network and their opportunities to network with others, but also putting themselves out there to network with others. How would you say networking has really played a part with you becoming this great leader and great supporter today? Well, thanks for the great leader part. (laughs) That's very kind. But, you know, it's about connections. So I'm not the kind of person that is going to want to amass a million followers, right? That's not that's not me. I think leading by influence and quiet influence is just as powerful. I think a great testimony to effectiveness is when someone says, what does AMZ think? Get her in this room. I need her at that table. I need her to help guide us through this. I need her to be part of this solution because I trust her and I trust her judgment. And that's what I strive for professionally every day. And I take very seriously that trust, right? That reputation. When someone asks for me, it's because they need help, because they trust that I can help them. And I think that's 
baseline. <laughs> I have very high expectations of myself and others in that way, you know, but I think as far as networking goes, just lending an ear, just listening and learning. It doesn't just enrich the other person, but enriches you. How else are you going to be the best at what you can be at if you don't learn? And if you're the one talking all the time and you're not making connections, you can't possibly learn. Not with a sense of humility. I think you have to have a sense of humility to really lead because if you don't, then you tend to think you know everything and then you you end up being a jerk, <laughs> you know, and, and not really effective in my opinion. But I don't know. I think uh, networking, it's, it's just relationships. It's just building, right? Building trust, building connections. Certainly people will do that to climb their way up into things. But, but I do it because I want to learn from other people. And if I can help them through a situation and they can learn from me, then good stuff happens. And, or you prevent bad things or you can help recover when weird things happen. Yeah. And you can't really learn that well by speaking. You really learn by listening. So I really like that sentiment you said on just listening to other people. That's also a great way to form a connection with someone is hearing them speak their words. A lot of people have truths to tell things about them, things about others. And the more that we can learn together, I think the more of an impact we can all make. I agree. You know, what's funny is that I've had so many different lives. <laughs> and <I've> seen, <laughs> you know, and I've seen so many different things. I've been in at least eight industries and, and 20 different orgs for various reasons. Is that, you know, there's so many tied in disciplines into security, I mean, into cyber specifically, that we can learn from and, and we don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. You know, there's incredible disciplines that are hundreds of years old that talk about how attackers attack, how they think, right? And how nation states and other threat actors might pursue a target. We keep on forgetting that. <laughs> yeah, you know, what I, right? Right. I was like, oh, this is new idea. <laughs> People have been doing that for hundreds of years, maybe not digitally, obviously, but certainly mm -hmm. with other means and other weapons, you know, kinetic or otherwise, right? And so that human behavior, there's a lot of lessons learned there. And there's disciplines that have been looking at that forever. And the accounting disciplines, people are always surprised to, it seems, there's a, a lot of folks that are surprised to see that there are incredible amount of overlap in accounting and finance disciplines. Well, finance is a lot about risk, right? And how to measure risk and what could happen. And, you know, in accounting, in that, even in the discipline, you have to learn how to build high integrity systems. So confidentiality, integrity, availability, anti-fraud, all of those things, you have to design capabilities that protect people from themselves insider threat issues, <laughs> you have to, intentional or otherwise, that are resilient to fraud or misdirection. I mean, these are all things that bubble up into security or that overlap into security. And so when you have these different perspectives and you start thinking about problems in different ways, you can come into a solution with others, right? You got to get that, those other perspectives to round out the solution that actually work. <laughs> right? <laughs> that actually work for the business, <laughs> you know, and it helps you understand the business. Yeah, I don't know if there was a question there, but 
That's the other thing I know. Sometimes I just go on to like these soliloquies. No, that, that's absolutely perfect. You're just as empathetic as you are focused and technical. You're focused on these technological maturities. How does all of that protection, that trust, the learning, the leadership, and this focus on technology, tell us a little bit about that nexus. How do you show up to work every day and use those tools that you've built over your entire life? As you were saying that, you know what it made me think of is that because security can be so nebulous, you know, how many times have you sat in front of somebody and you're trying to explain a threat model and they ask, well, how do you know? Right. And maybe you're sitting in front of a set of engineering folks or developers whose core disciplines are very binary, right? Like the code works or it doesn't, (laughs) you know, hello world prints or it does not, you know what I'm saying? And we in security sort of have to think about how things can go wrong and how to protect against that. There's so many what ifs that we have to think about and protect against. And that's hard to translate sometimes into disciplines that are, you know, the light turns on, the light turns off because they have trouble in the confidence of the analysis. And I see a lot of security professionals get upset when that happens, right? It feels like you're questioning the 20 years of judgment, right? That we had to accumulate in order to make these calls. And what's missing there is that if you don't have the ability to communicate and you don't have that trust and that relationship with your customer and your customer can be engineering, could be the business, could be whomever, could be a regular, whatever, whoever, right? Whatever that person is that you're, or entity is that you're trying to protect, if they don't trust your judgment, they're going to question what you say. And sometimes, you know, you can put, you can put data in there to help that conversation, but it's describing that technical and blending that technical with this discipline of risk management, of quantifying risk, right? Which for me, you know, has been part of my whole life, quantifying risk and forecasts and all kinds of stuff, even in the business world. But you have to be able to blend both so that when you're speaking, right, and you're listening to their needs, they know that you understand them and they're looking to you to use your expertise and your judgment of what could happen and how to best protect against that in a way that's worth it is that third piece. We don't just secure to a playbook. We don't secure to a checklist. We don't secure to a formula in a book. We secure to what's right for the business, the risk appetite for the business, so they can perform under the risk tolerance that they've stated. And, you know, you've got to have a myriad of tools and disciplines in order to do that effectively, not just knowing the technical side of security, but how to articulate it, how to measure it, how to inform the risk and the reward of these decisions. And that's what I think ultimately makes things successful. Anne-Marie, there's someone listening to this podcast right now that doesn't feel protected. They don't feel like anyone has shown up for them. Maybe they're in cybersecurity. Maybe they're in a completely different field. What piece of advice would you offer to them as they go through their journey and they they don't have that person? What would you say to them right now? Well, what I would say is that 
that person won't always show up at the time that you think you need them the most. And odds are that you are strong enough to get yourself through, to ask for help, to find a path, because paths have been made. And, you know, if you're waiting for somebody to look to, there are so many examples out there of strong leaders and and beautiful books and series and podcasts that you could listen to, to get yourself into a place where you can start taking a chance, taking a risk, being braver, getting excited, trying new things, learning new things, expanding those possibilities. And I would say just try one thing and then try another thing and then get yourself to the point where you can start showing up because you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know who you're going to hear, but make yourself available one step at a time. It doesn't have to be big. It could be if that's your personality, you could jump right into DEF CON or Black Hat, <laughs> right? And get into the sea of people. And I know that somebody will pick you up and hopefully the right person. <laughs> be careful. Not everybody, not everybody's a, a protector and a defender. But start start reaching out into the community and the resources that are there. There are so many. I mean, including this podcast alone. You never know what is going to make the difference to you. You know, what snippet is, is, are you going to hear that's going to make a, a difference? So you have to try a few things, just one step at a time, if that's what you need. One step at a time. Wise words. Anne-Marie, it was an honor to have you on the mics with us today. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the great things you have going on in your life, what are the best ways that people can do that? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on there. I'm on the Twitters, sort of. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't post a lot, but I listen a lot, you know. And that's that handle is is solving cyber. But there's a a ton of different podcasts and thought pieces out there that that I have that are available. Or you you might see me at a con, right? And and want to to have a coffee or have a chat. And so I, I you know, I would love for that. I would love to meet more folks and if there's anyone that I could help and run ideas through, bounce ideas off of, I'm here like many of us are. (laughs) AMZ, it has been a honor, a pleasure, and I've learned a lot just about you, your philosophies. We'll be sure to drop all of the links in the show notes so everyone can stay up to date and in contact with you. And we'll see everyone next time. If you enjoy our content, it would mean so much to us if you shared this episode on social media, told a friend, or wrote us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. 